And give me the noob. Jake lights his motif on fire. Alex steals Ryan's scholar dancer. And Ryan broke the show trying to fix it. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to Gaming of the Noob. Check out our live podcast stream on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash gamingofthenoob. What could go wrong? And while you're at it, go to gamingoutfitters.com and put in the coupon code GOTN at checkout for 20% off your order. What a deal. Peace, guys. Yeah, baby. Welcome to Gaming of the Noob. My name is Jake. This is Alex. And this is Ryan. This is a video game enthusiast podcast that focuses on the art, development, sound, visuals, promotion, mechanics, retro tech, and indie video game culture from the perspective of some major noobs. Made it all in one breath. Did you like how I said that too? Ryan. This is Ryan. We're going to do the podcast like Tom Waits today. Get ready for the Going out west. Oh. Starting off the show, we have Gaming of the News, highlighting some of the biggest news in video games. For, for details on these topics and many more, check out our Facebook and Twitter pages. And the reason for the awkward transition was I didn't actually put the guacamole part in here. You so son of a it, bitch! I was going to give it for Jake, but I'm going to do it myself so I can let you guys talk about it. The guacamole got a release date, and I'm going to go pull it up right now. Guacam- guacamole 2, to be fair. It's August 20th. Um, and August it's coming 21st. to PS4, Xbox One, and Switch, I believe. August 21st. August 21st. August 21st. It's being said under the breath. Uh, that's yes. guacamole. August 21st. Not guacamole. Okay, August 21st. So, uh, guys, why are you guys excited about this game? Does you get to play as a chicken again? <laughs> <laughs> Look how like, he's just like he's just defiant. Very like, uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he can't uh, see me right uh, now. But he will, he'll see it in like seven why, seconds. <laughs> why can't he see you? What's going on? Oh, I see. I see. I see. <laughs> it's delayed. I got it. I got it. I got <laughs> it. it. I got your 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 mustache face. You look like a French person. I understand. <laughs> like, Whatever. <laughs> now you know I'm French. Uh, yeah, Guacamelee was a great game, right? It was a fantastic game. Metroidvania with what? What do they call it? Statues, chorizo statues, or some no, stupid it's thing? Chuzo like, statues. Chuzo. Yeah, chuzo I wish statues. it was chorizo though. God damn that would have been Ryan. better. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was churro statues. Why are there so many words that sound like <laughs> chozo in in Spanish? Like they totally should bring in like. Choose um, like chorizo and churro statues. <laughs> and churro statues. That'd be an easy. And both of those are wrong. <laughs> and it's dancing chicken Illuminati. So there you go, Ryan. There's some chicken stuff. Whoa. Also, there's gonna be some awesome swag for me to get for my niece because, of course, I call her the chicken. There you go. Yeah, I'm excited for the new game though because it's coming to the Switch. And I think that'll be a perfect place for it on the platform. Is it coming um, to Switch? I didn't. Yeah. I, I don't believe I saw that. So that's awesome. I saw. Yeah, they announced it a while ago. It's going to the Switch. So I think it's going to be. I don't know if it's um, out that day though for Switch. It's kind of neat. The logo they did. Th- they did this like caduceus symbol crossover with like some of the Aztec snake stuff. Yeah. Um, which of course I like a lot. Caduceus symbols are kind of neat. So I'm thinking that maybe some of the gameplay is going to be focused on healing or health or maybe some kind of meta narrative about um life um, yeah 
Yeah, it looks like it's coming to the PC and PS4 first, but they did announce right. that at least the first one was coming to the Switch, so I assume the second one's coming to the Switch at some point. Um, but yeah. The first one's on Switch? It, if it's not, it should be coming to the Switch. <gasps> I there goes Ryan to buy it. <laughs> Buying it right now. I don't, th- I don't think it's out yet. Alex, on I, to the I, next I, piece so, so I have time to buy this game. <laughs> okay, so a little bit of history lesson with the news. On October 10th, 2017, Middle Earth Shadow of War came out. And at launch, it included microtransactions like many games in 2017. Did you say lunch? <laughs> no, lunch. <laughs> now you got me all excited. <laughs> As of July of this year, 2018, the game now no longer has microtransactions. So this is like this really weird duality that we're seeing right now. Where 2017 was the year of everyone has microtransactions, you know, all else be damned. And this year is everyone being retroactively pulling out those microtransactions. God forbid you like actually tried to play the game with microtransactions the way the developer intended um, <laughs> earlier. Now, there was... Uh, have you played the new the Shadow of War? I know a lot of us played Shadow of Mordor, but I bought Shadow of War. It's a fantastic game. And it's a lot different when... Number one, you're dealing with a single player issue, but also everything that you could purchase in there, you could earn like there wasn't anything. It was wasn't locked behind a paywall and it was really and like (laughs) buying it essentially took out playing the game. (laughs) So it was like, why would you buy this? Because you don't want to play this game. It was just weird. Real weird, and they got and they got away with it a little more because because of the fact that they were immediately like everything you can get with normal cur- in game currency as well. The f- I mean the first one you didn't even have like um cur- I mean there wasn't any currency system it was just all like it was an RPG where you were trying to farm things right so I'm like talking about Shadow of War <laughs> right so then the new one didn't even like I it doesn't even make sense in the system to have anything to be microtransactions. It was such a foreign idea that like you could just buy someone. It was like it defeated the purpose of the game. Yeah. So absolutely. I don't know, but the game has been going through um, a various couple sales. So you can now pick it up on sale and transaction for microtransaction free. And if you ignore the microtransactions, it reviewed pretty well, but it was tainted in a bad release spot and microtransactions. So most people were just like, and they just didn't, they kind of skipped it. So I'm I'll probably pick it up when it comes back around on sale soon. Now that I know that I don't have to worry about microtransactions on it, it's I a, really did enjoy the first one. It's a really good game, and it's like it it can be a little more overwhelming just because of the fact that it's much 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 larger than Shadow of Mordor. Are they gonna roll back microtransactions on the PS4 version? Uh, yeah, though it's on all versions. I, b- I believe they're just taking out the microtransactions altogether. Yeah, you don't have the option to buy anything with microtransactions anymore. And a quick, uh, you know, I didn't have this in the notes, but I, I read it this morning. Um, the opposite of this, which is kind of weird in this day and age, but, you know, Japan is a little different than of a market and also, you know, paying attention to, like, I guess the times. Um, Gran Turismo Sport. Um, came out last year as well. And it was said when it came out that they were never adding microtransactions so you can never buy game, uh, cars with real money. You can only buy cars with in-game money. Um, 
<laughs> they just rolled out a Cheers! pack. Cheers! Cheers all around! You actually they have just... to play the game to get things in the game! But they just they just rolled out a patch to add microtransactions into that game. <laughs> but that's a Japanese very centric game <laughs> with oh, it from a Japanese geez. developer. So no more. Yeah. Of that. Hey, Alex, uh, <clears throat> can you real quick do a uh, stream check to make sure all the audio is going through while we talk about this next point? I think that we may have some technical issues. Technical sure. issues. Uh, Ryan, why don't you talk about hell? I don't hear you guys at all. Okay. Um, what? Alex Wait, I hear myself. That's audible. On Alex screen. is the only one that's audible. Oh, fuck. Hold on a second. Or maybe I guess, Alex, you and I will talk about Senwa's sacrifice. Uh, I think I know what was going on when I was messing around with this, trying to get. Uh, how about now? Oh, hold on. Apply. Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Okay. So, yeah, what was going on was when I was messing around with this, I totally forgot about that about that setting all right see what was going on kids nice was i was trying to find ways to make the show better nice and in essence nice i destroyed the show nice ryan hey um here's why i suck as a podcaster fuck see i i i get excited i'm like uh, you know i'm like jojo the idiot circus boy with a pretty new pet my pet is my possible podcast i love my pet I massage it and I caress it. I love my naughty little pet. You're naughty. <laughs> I don't have anything to pet. Then I take my pet. Hold on. And <laughs> ah! I've killed my pet. And that's when I blow it. You blew your pet? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Shit. There's nothing wrong with that. All right. Hellblade Senua Sacrifice is getting the VR treatment on... Did we already say this? Vive and Oculus. And Steam, if you've already bought it on Steam, you get it for free. Well done, yeah. Steam. Good guy, Steam. So, go, Steam. Uh, that's a great way to... I, it's such an interesting thing that that game has been out for almost a year now, if not a year now, and it's still getting really good updates. Um, you know, they're releasing on other platforms. They're now they're adding a VR thing, which, you know, considering the accolades that already got, I don't know why it... It doesn't need to have a VR thing, but I think they're just trying to learn a little bit more. So they're doing it to an existing uh, game that they have, and it gives it another um, uh, a way to experience the game. You know, on top of having 3D sound that you can play with the game, you now can play over the shoulder with a VR experience and playing the camera. So I think that would be another way to add to the uh, immersion of the game and stuff like that. So it'll be really cool. Um. <clears throat> <laughs> I think I bored Jake to death. That's I right. think I think the stream's still not working, you guys. What? Why the, isn't it working? It should be working. I don't know. I'm checking. What, checking what? Jake, Jake, you're quieter than me, but I'm. I mean, I can hear you well, guys. Well, he's away from the mic. It's not that, Alex. I mean, the stream. Um, the stream is is not. Um, I'm I'm finding out. Sources say. Yeah, that the stream audio is not functioning properly, and and only Alex can be heard. I hear all of you, but I am I'm louder. You're listening to audio from the stream. Yes. Okay. Um. Well, how about that? Catch me outside. Here, Alex is turned down now. 
Hopefully that showed up on the stream. <laughs> yeah, I see the profile mentions. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. What yeah, we're doing? all the same. Yeah, I'm still a little bit louder, but it's fine. I've, it's I've right. pulled cool. up his volume on his screen and pulled it so you can see it on the <laughs> stream. <laughs> I don't know. I sound louder, but I don't know. All right. What's the next thing? Jake's part. Jake. The next thing is that the London Spitfire won Overwatch League's first championship over the Philadelphia Fusion just this last weekend. <laughs> Finals were held at the Barclays Center in New York with more than 18,000 people in attendance. Spitfire won 3-0 and took home a $1 million grand prize. That's wow. got to be close to... I know. I know. At basketball games that are usually about eighteen eighteen thousand people at the Barclays Center. So that's got to be close to to sold out, right? Yeah, no, it's sold out. Yeah, that's awesome. Pretty yeah, neat. and um, so that was a really good attendance, um, and it was really you know they did a lot of cool stuff. Um, what I found was really interesting about the story was uh, both teams were underdogs. I know early in the season. Uh, there were articles talking about Philadelphia Fusion being kind of like the troll team in the league for um, and Jake probably can speak this bit, better yeah. than I can a little bit. Um, and then the London Spitfire were kind of like a middle of the pack team. Um, but it, it's kind of cool to see how um, these two teams kind of, you know, peaked at the right time and, uh, you know, were able to fight in the fight it out in the finals. Yeah, that's uh, that's always great when, you know, unexpected teams end up uh, doing great things. But it doesn't always end up being most positive for the sport. Uh, case in point, if uh, if you the Lakers aren't in a championship yeah. during basketball, nobody watches or it essentially means that people don't watch it because everybody's a Laker fan. Hey, I'm great. I'm a Laker fan. <laughs> yeah. If you don't hey, have the bandwagon team, Cowboy fan too. <laughs> well, Maybe New York Yankees. Well, it's just the same thing as like everybody and their mom is going to be a golden state warriors fan from now on. And, but that's not, that was not traditionally true, but I mean, more recently. Yeah. It just, um, mean, it just means that uh, less people watch it because, uh, everybody wants to be on a bandwagon. Yeah. The London Spitfire is owned by Cloud9, which is a um, the parent company of them in this. And they are a larger um, esports brand. Um, so they have a lot of carryover fans from that uh, brand in that regard. I'm a you know Cloud9 fan in League of Legends, for example, where they started. Um, it's, it's kind of funny. The uh, I don't know if they'll undo their reputation. But there's a move in Overwatch. It's basically like a mess up move where you move the, middle the, finger? the point all the way, almost all the way to victory. And then you kill the team mm -hmm. and you move away from the payload to pursue the team. Um, and then somebody from the, the team that's moving the payload will sneak up onto the payload while everyone else is defending elsewhere and hop on and take the point to the very end while no one is guarding. It's like distraction. <laughs> and Cloud9 did that and from them from then forward they called it a C9. They called that that disgrace a C9. A C9. Huh. And now, you know, the owner of Cloud9 uh 
has Jack. the team Jack, yeah, that has a team that ended up taking the finals for Overwatch. So people were thinking that people, you know, that the C9 uh, nickname for that move would change. Only time will tell. I don't think it will. Probably not. Um, in esports, and as it is in kind of regular sports, but in I've seen in esports uh, because we're very much into like meme culture. Um, those names stick for forever. Uh, for example, in League of Legends, there's a backdoor method similar to what you just kind of described. It's called of a backdoor. Um, but there's a backdoor which called it as an X Becke, and that was something from like back in season like two or something like that. And it was just crazy outplay that someone did at this one time of League of Legends. And Xpeke hasn't played in years and years and years and years. And they still call that Xpeke. And they call that Xpeke in Korea, China, and NA. And that happened in Europe. So, like, I mean, I don't think that'll change because everyone's so ingrained in the culture to, like, watch all the regions. And um, if it becomes memed enough, it becomes, like, kind of permanent here. I don't ever think anyone outgrows anything. Oh, yeah. And you're all about that back play, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I expect it was a really good play, but yeah, it, I mean, good or bad, you know, you take it to the grave. Yeah, I like to change the subject, too. Nobody's judging. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, oh, wait, it's your point. No, it's not. No, it's you. It's me. It's the topic of the show. Topic of the show. So today's show is uh, Schmachto Math. Schmachto Math Math. Mavler. I don't know what this is. You have to understand, we're doing the Schmachto Math Maveler. So this is the stupidest name <laughs> ever. I have it covered in there. <laughs> I like Octopath Traveler. Okay, fine. Octopath Traveler's newly released JRPG for the Switch. It was developed by Square Enix in collaboration with Acquire. Uh, we all know that Square Enix is known for many great video game franchi- franchises, including a lot of JRPGs. But Acquire is most well known for their Tenchu and Way of the Samurai uh, franchises. So, I mean, this is a this is a pretty interesting kind of change of pace for Acquire, but it's very much bread and butter for Square Enix. Uh, Octopath Traveler was originally announced in January 13th, 2017, under the working title Project Octopath Traveler. Little did we know at the time, if you call something enough times by name, it will just stick. The game follows eight heroes, each with their own unique story and classes, and you can build a party of four team members and play the stories in any order. Also, interestingly enough, Octopath, if you take the first letter of every one of their names... It is O-C-T-O-P-A-T-H. Oh, mind blown. Is it like in sync? Go, Alex. Yeah, there's, there's no way. Uh, well, I was also going to say as a follow-up to that, uh, that January 13th date was actually the reveal stream of the Switch, if I remember correctly. Uh, this is one of the first, if not the first, uh, streams where they announced what the um, titles were coming to the, the Switch. And so this is one of the very first uh, games announced for the Switch. Um, again, it, it took a year and a half for it to officially come out, um, but it was showing, hey, the Switch is going to have this, um, hard to say this is an indie game, but this pseudo indie classic JRPG kind of like game on it. Um, it was kind of cool. It was really cool at the time. Uh, the project was started by the producers. Masahashi Ma- or Masashi Takahashi. 
Yes. And Tomoya. Tomoya Asano. Asano. I was I figured right I'd, there. I figured I'd help you. I was, I was practicing them before, but okay, it's fine. Who uh, previously headed up the Bravely series, um, which were really big on the 3DS. Um, Acquire was chosen to as a developer partner um, for their games based on the previous games uh, based on uh, what did I do to deserve this, my lord, which is the name. <laughs> it's just... When I was reading that, I was like, Alex, you don't need to put it in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> also... Is that what you call Ryan all the time or, you know, like just <laughs> no, recently? Just, Ra- just Ryan will do. Oh, he's leaving. He's out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, guys. That's all I have for tonight. Good night. All right. And that's now, our show. So right? well, I kind of wanted to. So me and Ryan in particular have been playing this game a lot for the last couple of weeks since it's launched. Nerds. Um, <laughs> nerd. 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 We have no real life in other ways. Um, <laughs> And what we wanted to kind of like highlight was just kind of like just talk through some of um, the some subtitles or sub sub uh, parts of the game. So the gameplay, music, art, uh, story and the character designs of the game and what makes this game truly special. And then, you know, critiquing in some places where it uh, feels like it. Um, but to kind of just, you know, set the tone, uh, the game is sold out physically across the board. Um, so the game sold really, really well. It's still selling really, really well. Um, and it costs sixty dollars. So this is a full fledged, um, you know, party uh, first party title, I guess. Well, yeah. So exclusive to the Switch and everything like that. So that's what we're working with in terms of what to expect. Uh, in terms of uh, so the first one we're gonna talk about is gameplay. So classic JRPG. You you build your team of four and you just play through the game, role playing, right, Ryan? That's how it works. That is how it works. Uh, <laughs> traditional JRPG. Now they take a lot no. of elements from their other game that they did, um, Bravely Default. So Bravely Default had a had a system where you could store up um, maneuvers and then unleash a certain number of them at a time. And Octopath Traveler does exactly this with their brave. Uh, what do they call the points? Battle points. It's B. Uh, yeah, the, I'll pull it up. I think it's Bungle points. <laughs> it's it's. <laughs> Yeah, I have it right here. Hold on. <laughs> it's those darn bungle points. Pretty sure it's bungle points. <laughs> those bungle points. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't mean to be telling yeah. tales out of school, but I do believe in <laughs> bungle points. It's but you would save up these uh your your every turn you get a point per character, and you start off every game every uh encounter with a fixed set of um uh these power-ups, and then so you can boost every attack up to um, five oh. and you can store up to uh, you can store up the five as well. Um, so you can even unlock a really powerful attack, but it's a matter of um, maximizing your damage and planning it. And everyone has breaks is what it's called. Uh, so they have a little counter next to them. And if you can hit them with a critical uh, number of times, you actually break them and then they go into a stun mode until um, an entire round passes where you can do damage to them. Um, so yeah, what is this called? Do, 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 do. Boost is what it's called. Boost. Boost points. Yes. And so you store these up and then, uh, unleash like these deadly attacks when you get, uh, when you finally break their shields. So they all have these, these defenses that they're weak against. Right. And it's, it's brilliant too, because 
normally when you're playing a game like this, like you never use your staff attack, right? You're always like, yeah. oh, this is just a waste, right? Except in it's this game. It's an augmented thing that you have to hold. Except in this game, you hit them with it, and if they're weak against it, it actually does some good. So they don't actually have to be using their uh, their magic. Ma- their 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 ma- well, it's called SP. I don't, uh, what does the SP stand for? Uh, that oh, sounds like for s- sex points. Yes, it is. <laughs> sex points. It, ah! It's not that. <laughs> of course it's, it's um, sex points. All right, it's Slurpee yeah. points. <laughs> oh, Slurpee points. And they all work at 7-Eleven. Why can't skill we points. all talk like this? Oh, skill. Yes, skill points. That's what it is. That's the uh, I hate you guys. regular of normal it's thing. Skill points. Definitely, I was right there. I was close. But it keeps yeah. it, it keeps the the flow of battle much more interesting than your typical uh, hold the A button or hold the X button, whichever system you're playing on at the time. Yeah, uh, I, I really liked it as an evolution attack. of the JRPG because I didn't play the Bravely Default series, but I knew it was really well received. Um, and on the surface, I felt like this would be something more like uh, um, a turn-based action—not uh, not action, a turn-based uh, JRPG, um, where you know when it's my turn, I just pick a move and I don't have to think about it so much and just kind of just you know roll face against you know special super effective the whole time. But adding the um, hit counter on the crits to stagger people uh, makes you really interested on in, like I really don't want to take damage because it's a long way for me to go from point A to point where I'm trying to go. Yeah. So to my destination, I have a long way to go. And while these might be low level enemies, they, but they, they build up over time. And if I take damage and I might not level up in that, in that period. And the other thing is on a boss fight, you really want to make sure you're optimizing your, um, your staggers, because if you know, he's about to wind up for a, a massive mood move, he could, um, wipe out your entire team or your key character in the in that move and you could lose the round because of that so you need to be like all right he has eight crits is what he need to do i need to prep him now while i have some time and then i see him you know it gives you your warning phase yep. and then i know when his move comes up in three turns and at the very top you see like the order that's about to happen so i know i have three characters to hit him and i have to have planned in my head this person these two characters out of the three that i have before him both have an ability to do a super. I need to use their boost abilities now so that they get the extra hits on his crits. Um, because now I need to I need to get him to that threshold where he's staggered. Because if I don't get to that point, then I'm gonna someone's going to die. <laughs> I know. The, I love the the preface it gives you with it. It's it's essentially bad guy is storing up energy, <laughs> and then they like start glowing. And you're yeah. like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do about that? <laughs> you don't know what's coming, but you know nothing good is going to come. Um, I also like in the game, um, you can literally go anywhere from the beginning of the game. Like as soon as you leave your initial area, um, you can walk. Uh, the map, the world map is open. You kind of see it in the the pl- gameplay that we have just rolling in the background. Um but the world map is open, so you kind of wherever you pick when you're one of your starting characters, and we'll talk about them more later. Um, but you pick when you're starting characters, and then you go and find the rest, or you can just go along your journey solo if you really wanted to. Um, it'd be really really hard that way, but you can go to your next destination. But along the way, you'll go. Okay, this is a level one area. Oh, over there's level fifteen area. Oh, over there's level twenty five. And every like couple levels. 
it is a huge jump in damage difference. So you will instantly get clapped if you if you try to go to one of those areas you really shouldn't go to. It'll let you go there. There's nothing. There's no invisible barriers preventing you from walking there. It just says if you want to go here, just be ready. Yeah, yeah it's pretty neat. You can go to like the forest. You can go to the club. You can go to the mall. You can go <laughs> any of those dancing. places anywhere. It's going down. <laughs> and uh, you know, having an open world kind of layout like this is really conducive towards getting to know the game, but also sometimes conducive to massive frustration because if you don't have any guardrails, you know, I mean like the regular world isn't necessarily like this. And this is sort of a, an artifact of old games and sort of, if you'll allow me a bit of a kind of busy work tactic, because mm -hmm. if you don't structure a game, if you don't, uh, put time into planning the environment in the world, you can just kind of, you know, like throw it together like this and smash a level 25 area right next to a level three area and just be like, well, you know, you'll get there eventually. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it would take a lot of time and, and, and frustration potentially for new players to kind of gain access to that. So that's something to be wary about. Well, so I'm a, I'm a grinder. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm on grinder. I really, I wish I never said that on a podcast right now. Yes! Um, yes! In, in RPGs, I like to grind characters. <laughs> There's no way to say this. I like Grinding, to grind bubbles. ladies and gentlemen, for the uninitiated is a technique uh, in video games where you fight many many weak enemies so that you can gain enough levels to gain access to different parts of the game where it's maybe more complicated or where the bosses are stronger uh so in jrpgs it's a very common tactic to set up waves and waves of trash enemies that don't mean anything and it basically is a time sink so that you continue to play the game some people find that process to be very enjoyable and a lot of us cut our teeth on games that have elements of gameplay and fighting like grinding um it's another one of those things that's kind of specific to jrpgs and the western audience if they're not initiated to that combat system might find it to be a little cloying now one thing right. about the grinding in, in this game though is that i always feel like it's either one or one or two battles that you're doing and you end up getting a level like because every battle is more meaningful. There's no mindless battle. Uh, even when mm -hmm. you're over leveled with things, you're always trying to break them and then do your massive attacks. Obviously, right. it's it's either multiple attacks or whatever, you, whatever you need to do. Uh, me with Therion, it was always my steel SP attack. Amazing attack. And it was funny. I was watching the stream that Alex was doing. He didn't even use it that way. And I was like, no, this is the best move in the game. But you started with him and I yep. did it. And this comes back to how we play the game differently, yep. because I find I started with. Um, God, now I'm blanking Cyrus. on his name. Uh, yeah, Cyrus. I, blank, I started with the scholar Cyrus, who is a mage. And from the very beginning of the game, I get all these options to use different um, elemental attacks and element most things are weak to one of the three elemental attacks and i get to figure out i get a random choice in the game uh to figure out which they're weak to um so i just go through and i just decimate things with massive um attacks yeah, we, yeah. so i just my main thing is just to do is everyone else to set up cyrus and then i just do di massive damage with cyrus that's always what i try to do just wait is, until you get the focus. to the area where none of them are weak to magic yeah cyrus the yeah. but 
so what I was trying to say about grinding before I got, you know, completely embarrassed out of my mind um, was that the, the interesting thing about putting like a level three area right next to level 25 area is I cannot go to a level 25 area, but I really want to go to the level 25 area because I see stuff right around the corner there that I can't really get because I keep getting like I have to get into an encounter between me and between there and I die. So I'm like, well, if I train up for forever right now, I could do that. But that's just a, such a long time sink when I could just really just continue along the story of the route I should right. go and then come back here. So it's grinding is also a difficult mechanic in the sense that it'll set you up for failure uh, in in that. Like maybe you get stuck against the tw level 25 area barrier. So you'll grind your way up to try and get into that level 25 area, thereby negating this uh predetermined pathway in the game if they don't scale up the enemies or make them match your they level do. uh then you'll you'll essentially be able to breeze through a part of the game which uh, which isn't meant for you to be able to get through so easily so it kind of like takes the fun out of um games sometimes they so being stronger than some of the enemies i mean if there is a point where you are will be stronger than enemies but the one thing I did notice was like as soon as I hit 10, all the enemies levels start at level 11. Like that's the lowest level I find right now. And then right now I'm hitting like all the lowest level enemies is level 15. Um, has, so they do a good they do a good point of like raising the floor level of everybody as you hit certain thresholds so yeah. that no one will ever become um, irrelevant as you are progressing. And it's not that the enemies are significantly difficult um, or more difficult it's just that you're trying to get through it's a fun game i really like the grind i like how they handled the things anyway, um, but i guess the, we should probably move on from the game no, no no the levels have to do with how many characters you've you've recruited it's in the starting oh is it, is it recruit based yes no so no. so if you recruit really a second one that, it, it bumps that up to like level four you recruit a second one or a third one then it bumps it up to 11 and then you recruit another one and it bumps it up to 16. That's I guess that it makes works. sense. I keep I keep bringing up the character I just recruited to my base level, so um, I don't notice the difference. So that makes sense, though. Be recruit base. Okay. Moving so, on to music yep. and sound design. Okay, so the uh, composer for this game is named Yasunori Nishiki. Uh, born in Japan on July 10th, 1985, after graduating from Tokyo College of Music with a film scoring degree. He worked on one of the with one of the biggest game developers in Japan as a composer and audio director and became a freelancer in about 2015. So not too long ago, he was freelancing, but the man made it big with this Octopath Traveler. Other games that he's worked on are Terra Battle 2, Eureka Battle, Quiz Magic Academy, Pro Evolution Soccer, Frontier Gate, the Bamani series, Lord of Verm Vermilion Arena, Gravity Days 5, uh, Synth Manipulation. He's also done a little bit of anime, a Wreck of Battle in the anime, so did both those, game and anime. Grand Blue Fantasy, the animation, and did some work with One Piece, which is probably the only name in that whole big list that you guys recognize. <laughs> Most of these titles are Japanese, of course. The man's Japanese. He did a little bit of television but the music stuff for is so Japanese good. TV. So... The battle music for this game is, uh, I don't know how you would describe it, like zesty, uh, spicy. It's it's quick drum beats, it, arpeggiated it's chords. You know, it's it's upbeat. 
Um, there are a lot of ostinatos and I kind get of. You. I get you. I get you. Just give me a second. Common themes. There we go. Yeah, it's it's very like quick pace, gets yeah. you going. You know, drives the rhythm. Um, good for getting you excited when you're playing in a game. And when I'm sure we've mentioned before, composing for video games is significantly dif different than composing for al almost anything else. Yeah, absolutely. You have to keep in mind um, looping. Because yeah. you never know how exactly the how long whatever segment is going to go, and this music is so fucking good. Like, if you notice, there's several different parts to it that are, and it'll end up looping around on itself. But we are almost a minute into it, and it's still not to the initial part. That's so fucking awesome. So. A lot of them, a lot of the music in Octopath Traveler uses this technique that's prominent in much other, uh, many other fantasy universes yeah. Uh, yeah. that are composed, and that's the light motifs. Light motif is a really common technique. They use it in the Lord of the Rings series. So any of those sort of like the Ring theme or Frodo's theme, you'll hear sort of this musical. I don't know, like no. an interlude that really just defines the character and brings you along in 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 a way that you're not co conscious of. So it kind of tells a story with music every time that that character is referenced or mentioned or on screen. Mm -hmm. And the leitmotif repeats itself with various instruments. Uh, sometimes it's like, you know, like they'll bring up a big, uh, a big combined orchestra. Sometimes they'll they'll dwindle it down to a couple different instruments every now and then they'll just play one real slow instrument but they're kind of like telling a story with the audio um so it assigns each character an instrument that's used prominently in their own light motifs and then they're also used during transitions from story scenes to boss battles like the clericophilia is associated with the flute while alf in the apothecary is associated with a saxophone uh, Octopath Traveler bridges narrative scenes with boss fights and quick vamps before a boss fight kicks in. So the best music comes in when you play as Ulberic the Knight. This is a, and and that's arguable. But his instrument is a trumpet that's giving you a really powerful brassy boost. So there's a, you know, they're kind of like telling a story not just in the storyline itself talking about the characters character development and what's going on but they're also using the music to kind of reinforce that they don't just sound good they maintain the momentum and the pace of the narrative uh keeping a continuous story flow in the into the combat without pausing which means that they maintain the sense of urgency throughout the game as you're playing they also uh help capture and i mean this is all 16-bit era type visuals right and they keep what HD had, retro they, is what they're calling it. What HD they had retro to do sprites. Back in the day, when you're playing those games, is they had to uh, do different things with colors to really shape your your environment. And then they also had to add that music. Uh, I can remember vividly uh, Final Fantasy VI when you get to Zozo, right? The mm -hmm. Zozo theme, um, and this does this just the same way. Okay, so like Primrose uh, comes from uh, down in the like it's a deserty area right and so when she's when you when you find her she has music that's like this right and it's almost like egyptian or now is know, this going it, out over the stream because if it's not we need to describe it this is going out over the stream okay okay so yeah so you're hearing like um 
almost like a sitar type of deal. Um, and some kind like a chorus, a strings chorus. And it definitely is like rising and falling, almost like sand dunes. Right. Exactly. You know, it's evocative of that desert. <clears throat> and so they do this with every single area. Um, and you can hear the music and you can, uh, without even visiting it, you can understand what area you're in. Um, Alex, you had a, uh, yeah, a I favorite. Just, I re-put it in the, in the notes. Um, this one that I put in here is my favorite one I've visited so far. And this is why I, I was talking to Ryan about this. I was like, we have to talk about the music in this game because in addition to the, you know, JRPG, you know, battle music being so good, the just, you spend so much time in the, in the, um, towns and whatnot and any other game like the only other game i could think of that has like definitive sounds for their like where you are is the only one i could think of is zelda and right but this is like the next one that i can think of that has like wow i know where i am just by the sound and i can listen to this music and think like these the music here in a lot of these places they reminded me of like disney tunes yeah like they just they had like a tune to them that was just like i don't know like uh this one reminded me of like um I don't remember if it was this one or if it was the woods next to it. One of them sounded like it was um, like it could turn into like uh, the, the colors of the wind from Pocahontas. Yeah. And there were some other ones that just like they just reminded me like old songs. I remember like melodies from them. Um, I was just waiting for someone to break out and to like, you know, actually sing in them. It was just so pretty and so much fun. And I was actually, you know, playing the game um, next to my wife when, and and she just like was listening to it. She's like, I actually don't mind hearing the audio from this game. And so I didn't have to worry about playing with like headphones on or anything because it was just such nice ambient music to listen to. And it was just pretty. And when you're out and exploring in this game, you're just constantly hearing this like very, um, I don't want to say soothing because not every place is soothing, but it's right. well paced. It just sets the mood and the tone just right. You're absolutely right. And yeah, I get lost just listening to this. It's so, so beautiful. Um, not to get lost in just the music, though. The rest of the sound design, the voice acting is fucking mm-hmm. fantastic. I really, really, really wish that they uh, voice acted the entire thing. Your Excellency. Your Excellency. <laughs> Your Excellency. Your Excellency. There are some so, fairly mundane uh, scenarios. But for the most part, I don't know what it is, but Primrose's scenario uh, just fucking captured me. It's really heavy. Real quick to f- to finish off uh, the musical section, I got a little a little note here from Yasunori Nishiki, the composer. Yeah. Uh, so he's he's a 32 year old, right? Um, so he says, "I'm part of this generation that grew up playing RPGs, and I'm drawn to pixel art on an almost visceral level. My goal was to create a soundtrack that would bring back the feelings from our childhood, frozen deep inside of us." Feelings that those days when our hearts beat with excitement at the boundless worlds of adventure that stretched out before our eyes. At the same time, I didn't want to just recreate the past, so I applied a great deal of heated passion to defrost those feelings in an even more real and dynamic form befitting the modern era. So That's awesome. That's an incredible quote. And really, I mean, hearing this theme, what's it called, Ryan, this theme? My Quiet Forest Home. This theme is gorgeous, and it really does that for me. It really takes me back to what it felt like to be a kid and be playing some of these RPGs or mm-hmm. even like being out and having that sense of wonder, discovering the world, riding a bike around my neighborhood, that kind of thing. It definitely, you can definitely set 
childhood to those themes. Yep. So um, next section is going to be art. And we kind of hit on it a lot already. Um, but the art design in this game is really, really... It looks familiar when you look at a screenshot of it, but you have to see it in motion. It's um, this SNES style, like theme, like it reminds me of SNES style, um, but in an HD era and very in a, in a pseudo 3D world. Um, yep. So everything has depth. Everything has you can tell what's further back. You can tell what's far. It's not flat, but it all has this pixel art look. It has this very um, uh, almost watercolor feel to it, and comes to colors and stuff like that. It has. It looks like a lot of it's been hand drawn and then just translated into pixels. And it's really such a cool art style um, that I love and love and love. Um, and they just they capture the the feel when you see the uh, the character art of like, here's your character and they show the art style of them and, and you see it on the box art or whatever. Um, it, it's such an interesting um, art style that they did. And they use it to also show like hide things in the in the world. Um, so there'll be like secret paths behind things that you don't immediately see. Um, and then, so you do things like that. I'm Ryan? showing, I'm showing a clip of, uh, of a little bit of the game just so you can see, uh, some more of this art design. And if anybody's ever, if, if anybody listening has played, uh, final fantasy six in particular, this really just evokes that feeling. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it really shares, that fucking that. random encounters though <laughs> if you don't like random encounters it's probably another game for you but uh i i have no problem with it in fact uh i feel like they really tone down a lot of these random encounters they don't i don't feel like they're sh they show up quite as often i don't as i don't I'm mind random encounters remembered. when i can get items that turn them off like if you're level 50 and you're going through an area where there's level two random encounters you either turn them off or there's a system in the game that makes it so level two enemies don't attack you as much. You're in luck because the scholar has an ability that reduces random encounters. Reduces? Yep. Reduces. Okay. Um, I haven't so yeah, go ahead. I know we're running short on time, so I don't want to spend, I, I kind of want to start combining some of these. Um, one thing that I wanted to talk about that we kind of hit it on before, and I'm going to blend this into storytelling um, it's one of my, um, and I'll give you a second here. In a, uh, if you want to do the ad here after no, this one, Jake, cutting it out. Go okay. ahead. Okay. Um, one of the things I actually has a gripe. I love the storytelling of this game. We've already talked about how we love the voice acting. We love the sound. We love the art style. Um, and the story is really, really interesting. I like how they tell eight unique stories and they can, you can even combine them. And then, you know, they don't really step on each other's toes really that much. Um, at all <laughs> uh, but one of the th well they kind of stack up at one point um, one of the things I wish this game had and it, it, it's I feel it takes me out of it just a little bit and I feel I'd be more invested in learning the stories and just a little bit of the immersion was I'm going to say Fire Emblem style but I know a lot of other games use it um, but cutscenes with um pop-ups where you can actually see like the character drawn out right yeah. so it fades to the foreground and then you have like the characters who are talking are like in like a different art style talking to and then you see them talking that way i i i'm very used to playing fire emblem and that's how they do every single fire emblem game 
where the characters are kind of like done in this really cool art style. It just helps me keep track of who's talking and what and seeing the emotions. Um, and that's one of my biggest gripes with this one was that they did you. It's very difficult to see the emotion of a tiny little sprite that whether they're upset or they're sad, happy. Like, I mean, you know, I can't I can't really tell on that little sprite because it doesn't have that much face on it. Final Fantasy Tactics did a really great uh, solution to that is they'd zoom right into that pixelated face right. and give you the emotions right on there. Another thing that, that would have been fine in, too. And, and traditional things is they over animate things uh, and find other ways to convey the emotions through actions rather than doing that. Uh, I think a lot of this ha- comes from the fact that this is more of an, uh, an homage to 16 bit and they didn't really do that back then. So Alex, I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you 100. I think that would have added to things. Alex, are you vaping? No, it's just a pen. Oh, I'm just twiddling. He just has an oral fixation. <laughs> he is a big fan of grinder. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Ryan, why don't you talk a little bit about this character design? So character design. Uh, each each one of these characters is unique. Uh, I will say that to an extent. They are unique. They have like this rogue path and uh, valor path or something like that. Uh, essentially light side, dark side type uh, abilities that essentially do the same thing. So, for example, I picked Therion, who is a thief. He steals. The light side version of a, someone that steals is someone that what? Robin buys. Hood. Buys. Oh, buys. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so there's a merchant character. Uh, I can't remember her name because she's terrible. But there's a merchant <laughs> character. Also, Theron is yeah, like the coolest what, character in style. I don't know why you pointed at me because I, I, don't, you haven't I played haven't played it, the right? game. So. But I was hoping that you come up with it. Anyway, two plus two is X. Four. <laughs> so... Uh, but yeah, you can essentially get the same items, but you go around and you purchase them rather than being able to steal them for free. Uh, you can <laughs> guess which yeah. one you use. So the, the other op- another option opposite I didn't really think of would be like the apothecary and the scholar. The scholar was more critical and like yes. kind of like he's not really mean, but he's just like more of a know-it-all. And the apothecary is more of this like down to earth, super nice guy. It's but they both get knowledge. Inquire. Right. So like scrutinizes inquires the way they broke those two up. Um, the same result. I don't know. Here's but the thing. They, My but the character always works. <laughs> My scrutinizes always like got a percent chance of, Scrutinize does have a percent chance, but I feel like I should be more inclined to scrutinize um, (laughs) because they're wrong. But the funny thing is, is also uh, interesting is that I thought that these characters would if they're if they have the opposite abilities, they should be the opposite, um, you know, stats or whatever. Or they should have the same stats or whatever. They just be mirror opposite dark, light, dark, whatever. Um, But they don't. You know, the the apothecary is a totally different character than my scholar. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. He's actually a, he- a healer. He's actually more, and but his attack abilities are totally different than Where's the other healers. So like, He's so the scholar is a mage is is really in the, in the game. Um, and then if we're just going down a line, like then you have the apothecary who's um, uses an axe as his melee, and then he uses also ice abilities, and he also has an ability to heal. Um, He's kind of like your battle healer, right? And then the other healer in the game is a cleric. Who uses light magic and healing abilities, and then uses a staff. Um, And then 
uh, what's another one? He's another one who uses an axe is the hunter. Um, so, but she matches up with the warrior DPS um, in terms of yeah. So they're both bow, um, warrior, both sort of tank. pseudo tanks and stuff like that. Yeah, so they don't always match up. So they they do a good job of like you can bring uh, a couple combinations of these characters in your group at any or your party at any single time without um, completely unbalancing your uh, your. Uh, can you your unbalance it? No. Can you pick characters that will co- that will completely throw it the fuck off? Actually, I don't um, think you can. I've I've yeah. tried doing all sorts of combinations, and I've never felt underpowered or. Don't bring the merchant. She sucks. That's basically the no, rule. And hold that's on a, a second. <laughs> when you get the dual classes, you can make some really cool things with her. Okay, so so yeah, so then once you get the so once you get far enough in the game, you find finding uh, the ability to get uh, what is it called sub jobs or was it what's the. It's just a second class. Dual classes. So it, Moving on. Yeah, but there's a secondary job you can learn, and then you can give them the other class, and then that completely fills out their um, their move pool. Do they um, have so. predetermined secondary classes, or can you choose? No, you can you give, as long as you don't give, you can't give them the dual, cl- like, same class. You can only give them can't a different down. class, so you can... Can't yeah. double dip. There's no double dipping. So here's something that's really awesome. Okay, so Primrose is a dancer. She has an ability, a support ability later, that... Every turn, she gets magic back. She gets her skill points back. Well, what did you just? What do you think that I made her the second class? A mage. I made it the scholar. So now she gets okay, I'm wrong. three again. It's mage. It's a mage. So that's okay. the mage. I made her the scholar. So now she gets free AOE attacks every turn that she decides to use them. It is awesome. Interesting. Well, damn it! I know what I'm doing with her too. <laughs> <laughs> That was the first. That was the first job I found. Was the scholar? I was like, I don't want to give anyone this. I already have my scholar. So, you, so I've just been like sitting find on these it. Different combinations that you do, and they just fucking completely cha- change the way that you play the game. Yep, they do a really cool. And I and I, but that's one of the things I. And we'll move on after this. But in terms of character design, the 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 moves are just more than just this is a damage move. This is a support move, and that's it. They're, they like you know Daron the thief is such an interesting character in terms of I, I think I think of him in particular um, in terms of the design because uh, Ryan was talking about the HP steal and one of the best ones he has is the SP steal and then he has another ability SP that he can do SP share um, so you can actually build um, the thief to be one of the best support characters in the game instead of one of the highest uh, DPS characters so he can just constantly cycle um, skill points to the rest of your team you're absolutely anyways i've really enjoyed octopath traveler ryan what about you oh yeah it's it's a win and that wasn't going to be any surprise to me i knew from the get-go when they started showing it that that was that was my thing right uh Mm -hmm. it's straight from my era when i i mean square enix could could do no wrong back then (laughs) at least in, in my eyes um so it gets it gets two thumbs up from me, and this brings us to Indie Jumpstart, the part of the show where we highlight new and upcoming indie game projects that we feel are worth your attention. Brought to you in cooperation with our official partner, Jump. Find them online at playonjump.com. So, have you ever wondered what running 140 miles per hour feels like? Photonica is a first-person game about the thrill of speed and traveling flawlessly through complex environments. And, of course, it won't be flawlessly because when you're playing it, you're going to run into every single wall. Uh, Photonica is simple but not easy. 
It, it follows the tradition of arcade games that are easy to pick up and almost impossible to master. A multi-layered level design across eight different tracks, together with a procedural endless mode. Hey, Ryan's favorite right there. I know, I love procedural. <laughs> Make for a game that is, I just switched the tab and I can't continue reading. <laughs> uh, make for a game that is incredibly deep. Think you can outrun your friends, do you? Well, try split screen versus challenges. Uh... The visuals are a treat for the nostalgic player, but also for those hungry for new aesthetics. Each pixel is drawn to convey the maximum sense of speed and an exhilarating journey through light and void. Out, I'm Ron Burgundy. I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Check uh, it out at playonjump.com slash game slash photonica. So Jump is an on-demand video game subscription service that provides unlimited access to a large library of games with a special emphasis on unique, high-quality games by independent developers. With 14 free days to start, subscribers can check out high-quality and groundbreaking video games uh, offerings without the commitment to buy. So next time on Gaming the Noob, it's going to be our 52nd episode. Woo! That is a full year's worth of episodes, so... We'll be doing an anniversary uh, episode, and I think we're going to take a couple of weeks off so that we can kind of build up to that. Yep. So um, look for us halfway through next month or a little bit later through next month, and we'll put together a really special show for you. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. Our goal is to provide a platform for like-minded content creators, and those help us so, so much. Yeah, I just burped. Sorry. <laughs> Send feedback, praise, and suggestions to gamingofthenoob at gmail.com. Find us on SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. Tweet me at Jake Baez and the show at Gaming of the Noob. Alex, Ryan, where can we find you online? You can find me at Darkwing6723. And you can find Twitter. me at RyanJohn7R. Thanks a lot, folks. Bye. <laughs>